We can't receive the reign, R-A-I-N, until we accept that he reigns, R-E-I-G-N, that he reigns over our lives, he reigns over this place, he rules in sovereignty, there is no one above him, that he sits on a throne and he overlooks, and I think today he stood up. I think today he stood up because he saw some women gathering from different denominations. He didn't, we didn't allow things to separate us, but we did what he asked. One of the last things Christ ever said is, I wish that they, w- I want you to be one as we are one. And today you came in, we came in together in a spirit of oneness, in a spirit of unify, a house divided cannot stand, and the enemy has done a good job of dividing the house, but today we came together and we said, God, we need you to reign, R-E-I-G-N, over this valley, over this area, and when we accept you as sovereign, then we want the reign of God to flood out everything that has come in through this pandemic, through agendas, and wipe away Sweep away, wash away, flood away anything that is keeping us from digging into God and drawing closer. Lord, don't just rain. We want you to flood this place. We want you not just, we want torrential rain. We want tsunami rain in this place. We want a flood of heaven to wash through this place. Wash away everything that is holding every dear sister down and back. Has had them tied up, tangled up, and wrapped up. God, we ask for every chain to be broken in this house as you reign in here. God, I want to be drenched. I want to be drenched. I want to be soaking wet in the presence of God. I want his manifest presence. We, We always have the presence of God. But how many of you are hungry for the manifested presence? Let me tell you, there's a difference. There's a difference. There's a lot of people who who are going to go to church tomorrow, and God's presence will be there. Because he says, where my name is lifted up. But there's a difference between that manifested presence. And you just like, the the hairs on your neck stand up, and you, you can't stop crying, and you can't sit still but you can't sit down and you want to run because you it's so on you like I can't cont- when his manifested presence I want that this morning I, but I want it every morning really I need it it's what keeps my students alive my kids alive it's not the coffee as much as I love it is Jesus and his manifested presence in our lives amen come on give the Lord a big shout of praise this morning give him glory Lord you are worthy Lord, we praise you. Reign in this place, Lord. Let the heavens fall. Let your presence fill this place from center to circumference. Wrap us up in you, Lord Jesus. You're worthy, Jesus. Come on. If you can be seated, be seated. But if you need to stand, you got adult ADD. I'm all right with that. (laughs) It happens. Amen. Well, I'm glad you came back. (laughs) I wasn't sure. Pastor put a lot of pressure on me yesterday. He goes, you know it's all on you. I said, no, it's not. Don't tell me that. He's your only speaker. I'm like, well, we got the Holy Ghost. We need him because outside of him, I really, I couldn't do any of the things I do. So I'm excited to be back again. I'm so honored because truly I am not ordained this side of heaven to preach. I don't have the the background my husband has. I went to school to be an educator. I teach history. I love it. 
but I don't need to be ordained by man. I've been called by God to preach the gospel and to share. And I've been through a lot. And for a long time in my life, I thought, God, I've been so broken. I've made a lot of bad choices in my life. And he says, I remember him just speaking to my heart. I'm not going to use you despite those things. I'm going to use you because of those things. Because there, there's a different testimony when you've been through something. All right? have a lady in our church that's just started coming and she's been through something I can't understand and I said my mother-in-law I'm going to connect you with my mother-in-law because she understands coming through marital abuse she understands that she understands what that's like so I'm going to connect you Uh, we, we go through things for God to use that purpose that pain for our his purpose and um I'm praying today that what we're going to go through together, that God's going to birth ministry in some of you. It doesn't have to be a platform. Ministry doesn't have to be up here. Ministry is everywhere and anywhere you go to make you into a minister of the gospel. Amen. So let's just get on into it. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you continue to be the speaker this morning, not me that my ability is limited and my insecurities will get in the way but through you my confidence is in jesus christ and the holy spirit who speaks through me and i pray that father god it be authentic and real and not from my heart god but that i put my heart my ear to your heart and i get the pulse of god this morning to speak it with authority and to speak it with sincerity for these women and for myself to draw closer to you. That's always our goal, to be closer to you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody says amen. So last night we looked very briefly. How many of you were here last night? Everybody? Yep. If you're... If this is your, you didn't, weren't able to make it last night, um, we, we, this is, we, we looked at the overarching uh, message that Jeremiah was preaching to his generation. And for roughly 23 years, and I could be wrong on those, so don't quote me on it, just what I picked up, Jeremiah addressed those issues, this codependency on alliances, these foreign alliances that they had made for their safety. And for us, that, that the relationships that we lean on, the things that we cling to, to bring us safety, to bring us peace, we, we do it in our own way. He addressed their that they were clinging to this unsubstantial gospel that was being preached to tickle their ears and this um this gospel that had been twisted and and in our air in our time frame it's this woke gospel and the watered down gospel that has become very prevalent in america and and how do we come out of that and how do we 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 make sure that we're clinging to truth outside of you have to be in the word you have to know the word and you have to learn to feed yourself and then we looked at the big issue that they face then that we face now that um, Elizabeth sang so beautifully about is those idols that they they had that remnant of Egypt that was still clinging to them like dirty slave clothes that addiction to idolatry that has not been cured um, but by the grace and mercy of God that we have a way out from underneath it but it is still an issue and we can't deny that it still exists because it is it just looks different to our generation And the people of Jeremiah's day had gone from being this beautiful bride. And Jeremiah 2, he just says, you were this beautiful bride. 
You were this beautiful bride. How many of you remember your wedding day? And that was probably the most beautiful you ever felt. Amen? And that I didn't get that big wedding day, but I still felt beautiful because I was getting ready to marry the man I knew God had for me. So even if I didn't have the right gown on, I still felt beautiful. He, he said that you, you have gone from being this bride to being prostituting yourselves to idolatry. How do you go from being a bride to a prostitute? He actually likened them unto a, 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 a donkey who was lusting after. How do you go from being a bride to be calling a donkey? I mean, that, that's a big jump. But that's where they had come and that's where they were going. And, and, and they just completely, in order to pursue false gods, because you traded the beauty of a bride for the garments of a prostitute and chasing your idols. But the people would not listen and they wouldn't hearken. Jeremiah 6.15 says, Are they ashamed of their disgusting actions? Not at all. They don't even know how to blush. Is that not America? We don't even know how to blush anymore with our sin. Because like we talked about last night, we have recategorized it not as sin but as a lifestyle. There's no reason to blush over a lifestyle. But when it's sin and you recognize it as sin, when you were little and you did something wrong, your, your, parent popped, your face turned red. Your parents knew. But we have gotten to this place, we don't even blush about it anymore because there's no conviction. There's no correction. He preached an unpopular message. He was not even, God basically told him, don't even get married. This is not going to be, you're not going to want to drag a wife and a child into what you're getting ready to go into. So he walked this road alone preaching. When, when he showed up, everybody was like, oh, Lord, here's Jeremiah. He's the, uh, he's the one, just the negative news. He's just going to tell us negative news, how bad we are and how we need to fix things. And, and because of that, they beat him. They threw him in prison. They threw him in a cistern. He was because, and he was teaching the word of God, but they didn't want to hear the truth. Sometimes the truth is unpopular because it tends to go against the culture of the time. We are living in a time that biblical truth has become unpopular. We have, and if you look back through the history of the times of revival in America, the first awakening, the second awakening, the third awakening, we still fell asleep after three awakenings, but we still, then we had, you know, the, the era of, um, of Billy Graham and um, Billy Sunday who came in with the, in the 60s, the 40s, the 50s, and 60s and drawing pimple, pimples, people, <laughs> I wish they'd get rid of my pimples, um, drawing people into repentance and since then we've re we've reached that post-era era how are we going to draw people to repentance if we've redefined sin how are we going to draw them if they don't think they need to repent and, it, and it's not just the world it's the church and in the book of Jeremiah, the blame wasn't on the world. It was on the church. He said, this is on your back. This is your fault. You are the ones because you are my chosen people. You have been set apart. You have been, you have been designed to not fit into the world. You're to be in it, but not of it. But now the church doesn't look any different than a social club. Because we don't preach the truth but praise God for churches like Rodney Pike Church of God you get the truth you can you're going to come in here whether it's Micah whether it's Pastor Robert Leah you are going to get truth I am I've traveled enough with my husband to tell you 
that's not every church. That's not every church. We have people bring a new church plant that have come to our church, and they said, I've been church my whole life, but I've never heard the word preached like that. Oh, so you basically haven't heard truth. How do you go to church your whole life and not hear truth? I've had someone say, I, I used to sit on a preacher. I, he never, I never even heard scripture. I'm like, what? That's not, that's not preaching. That's a, that's, that's a assembly. <laughs> that's a school assembly. Yes. Union. Like that, that, how is that a thing? But it's a thing. And they didn't want to hear it. And we are living in a time that the people didn't want to, don't want to hear it. But as a result in Jeremiah's time, and just as God has promised me, because we know that God's word, what he says will happen, will happen. He is not like man that he can lie. If he says that this is wine, then it's going to become wine because he cannot lie. Because that's how awesome my God is. And he says, if you keep this up and you don't change your ways, you are going into exile. And they, they literally thought, they would say things like, oh, but we have the temple. As long as we're in the temple, we're safe. They were relying on their religion, but they had no relationship. I'm going to say that again. They were relying on their religion, but they had no relationship. And because of that, because they didn't listen and heed to the word of God, just like he said, and you've been parents, if you don't clean your room, and I, this, my boys, are, they, hopefully they're watching you. Be, I told them, when I get home, your room better be clean. If I see one more stinky sock, dirty underwear, what a plate that has been there for three weeks. Boys are gross. <laughs> I love you men. That's not man bashing. But I grew up in a home with predominantly girls. So this whole boy, I'm the only girl in my house besides my dog. And like, it's just, huh, yes, you feel me? Like, clean your room. And they know, they already know the consequence. If your room is not clean, you lose all devices for a week. No phone. I mean, you might as well just stop their heart. And no, no, no X, but nothing. You're going to have to go 1980 and watch TV. I might just put, I might even pull Netflix and you're going to have to wait for commercials to go to the bathroom. Like we're going to go real old school. <laughs> and so there was, there's going to be a consequence. And I'll let you know, I'll let you know. Did they, were they like Israel and ignore and think my wouldn't follow through? Or were they obedient and get the favors and the blessings? But this was a group of people that didn't want to listen. So just as God said, for 70, for 70, he even timed it. He said, this is how long it's going to happen. For 70 years, they were taken captive by the Babylonians. Now, during that season, what I love, that even when they were taken captive, God didn't abandon them. Because you have amazing stories like Daniel. I love the story of Daniel. The integrity that man stood with under pressure. He didn't cave to the time. And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't cave to the pressures of that time. They stood out. And they said, just because we're in captivity doesn't mean that we have to act like our captors. We are going to still stand for the things of God. We are still going to honor the things of God. There's going to come a time that we are going to be held captive but we are not going to act like our captors we're going to act like the creator and we are going to still walk in the authority and the power of the lord and they did that how many of you have quoted jeremiah 29 11 i can't even tell you how many times i've quoted that scripture that have a plan to prosper you not to harm you but when you look at it in its full context what he's saying was you're going into captivity 
You are going to a bad, what's getting ready to, you're going into a hard season. You're going to a difficult place. It's inevitable. It's coming. But even in that hard and difficult place, trust me in the process that I have a plan to prosper you. Even in that, Daniel prospered. Even in that, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego prospered because God had a promise. And they were suffering because of the decisions of others. They were taking how That can make a heart bitter. Come on, how many of you, if you were taken captive because of the decisions of the foolishness around you, your heart would not become bitter towards God? The fact that they did not become bitter is a miracle in and of itself. That they said to God, even though I'm in captivity, even though I have been drug away, not by choices of my own or actions of my own, but the, the community around me, I'm still going to praise you. I'm still going to bow only to you. I'm still going to worship only you. So they went off into captivity. And just like God promised, though, they eventually returned to Jerusalem because God is a man of his word. Seventy years later in three waves. Sorry, I'm doing all the history here. That's what I do. (laughs) It's my thing. Um. They come back in three ways, first with Zerubbabel at that 70-ish year mark. Then with Ezra, with Zerubbabel, he rebuilt the temple. Ezra comes back with another wave. He reinstitutes temple worship. And then Nehemiah, who was working for the king of Persia at that time, gets word that the walls of Jerusalem were destroyed. And he goes back and he rebuilds the walls in 52 days. Come on, Lord can do an expedient work. How many of you are grateful that God can do an expedient work? And that he's faithful to complete it. So he comes back and they, they, they rebuild. 153 years after total from being taken. That's two generations. Then in Nehemiah, after the wall is built, Nehemiah 8 and 9, revival finally hits. It finally hits. And it hits in the most unpeculiar way because it wasn't they had all the fluff. They didn't get T-shirts. And I'm not knocking any of this because I would do the same thing because of our culture. They didn't have anything to entice anybody to come. They came willingly. And then they said, the Bible says from sun up till noon, they just sat and read the word of God. How many of you would have shown up today if you got the news that for this conference, I would be standing here for six hours, not even reading the fun stuff of Acts, but reading the laws and numbers. Come on, snooze fest. But they stood and they came and they, they didn't even have comfortable seats. They didn't have AC. They didn't have any of this comfort. They didn't have a coffee and donuts waiting for them. We can't even come to church. And they came and they stood. And it said even the kids who were old enough to understand stood and listened for hours. And revival hit. 
They were weeping and worshiping and crying out to God. Lord, for sins they hadn't even committed. They were crying out for what their ancestors had done. They understood the generational curse. They understood what their ancestors doing. And they said, God, we don't want what they had. We don't want to do what they did. Forgive us. Forgive us. And they cried out. And revival fell. But I don't know about you. Because if our lives parallel Jeremiah's, I don't want to wait two generations. I don't want my great-grandkids to see revival. I don't want to wait another minute. I don't want to wait another moment. I don't want to miss another opportunity to have revival here and now. I want it sooner rather than later. Look at your neighbor and say, I want it sooner rather than later. And maybe this is my fast food mentality. We like things fast. But God, if you can make a three-day trip into one for, for Jonah, you can do that for me. I want revival now. And it took desperation. These people were desperate. I want it now, Lord. I don't want to wait. I don't want my kids to miss it. I don't want another generation to walk around in blindness and be deceived by this world and their enticements that are after our kids with such ferocious appetite. The enemy is after your kids, people. They're after these kids. I want it now for them, Lord. Jeremiah did, didn't just tell them, hey, this, these are the issues. Any good doctor, like I said, if you go to a doctor, he's not going to just tell you what the issue is. A good doctor is going to say, here's the solution. Here's what we can work on. We can change your diet. We can, you know, do with it, you know, whatever it's going to take to fix it. Jeremiah didn't leave him hanging. He didn't say, these are your problems and you're stuck with them. He said, this is, this is what you need to do. But they didn't want to listen. And I wholeheartedly believe that if they would have submitted to what Jeremiah was saying the Lord to do, they would have experienced tremendous revival rather than devastating exile that had hearkened, if they had hearkened unto the word of God. So I'm going to turn, if you have your Bibles, I know we don't have it in the screen, but I'll tell you one of my favorite sounds in the world is hearing scripture turn. All right, we always tackle, what's your favorite smell? What's your favorite, uh, you know, th- what taste? My favorite sound is that. Listen, you can't hear that on an app. You just hear your nails. <laughs> I love that sound. Jeremiah 3. We're going to pick up in Jeremiah 3 around 12. Oh, Israel, my faithless people, come home to me again, for I am merciful. I will not be angry with you forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. Admit that you've rebelled against the Lord your God and committed adultery against him by worshiping idols under every green tree. Confess that you have refused to listen to my voice. I, the Lord, have spoken. Verse 14, return home, you wayward child, says the Lord, for I am your master. The first thing he encourages them to do is acknowledge it. Acknowledge, admit that in your self-proclaimed habit altogether, you don't have it altogether. 
Acknowledge that you still need a savior just as much today as you needed him on a bad day that drew you to him. Acknowledge that we all have to admit that there is something that needs to be addressed, that we are not a perfected or finished product yet. And we, we can try to kid the world as much as we want to with that perfect selfie and that inspirational quote on Facebook and letting everybody know your kids made the honor roll and, oh, look at my clean kitchen. And, you know, nobody ever takes a picture of the dirty dishes and posts on Facebook. Let's just admit that we have some things to deal with that most of us came today because you are hanging on by a thread but I'm here to tell you but even if that thread is just the hem of Jesus's garment girl you gonna make it that's the only that's the only thread I really need I will hold on to that thread for dear life I will I'll do like I believe it's FDR Freddie Franklin Roosevelt said if, when you're at the end just tie a knot and hang on I'm hanging on to the hem of his garment because I don't have it all together I don't have it remotely all together Paul was very transparent. The man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament was very transparent. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that have I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal with the prize for which God has called me heavenward. I am pressing on. I am pressing on with all, all my struggles, with all my issues. I keep pressing because he promises that in the process, and if I keep going and if I don't give up, the, the race isn't always given to the swift. It is not always given to the wise, but I'm going to tell you who it's given to, the ones who endure. I'm encouraging you this morning to endure, but you better be real with yourself. You better acknowledge that you have some things to deal with. What was Paul saying he hadn't obtained? He said, I, I'm not like him yet. I'm not like him yet. And he had the boldness to acknowledge it. I think the church has come a long way in this. I'm going to be quite honest. Because there was a long time we tried to act to the world that we had it all together. And I think that discouraged a lot of people from coming. Because they thought they had to have it all together before they came in. And there are some people who still think like that. But I think we've gotten a little bit more real. How many of you can say that the church has gotten a little bit more real? Like, man, I'm messed up, jacked up. I'm, I'm a hot mess. And I, I need him just as much as you need him. I don't need him any less than you do just because I've been saved for over 20 years. I need him just as much, just as much. He understood, Paul understood that it, does, it takes a moment to give our heart to Jesus. It is going to take a lifetime to get his. He understood that. I'm still a work in progress. People need to know that. People, the world needs to know it's okay not to be okay. We all need him. That word acknowledge, from that word we get, we get the, from the word acknowledge, we have that word know as the root, which is the word yada, which is the, it's an intimate word as in Adam knew Eve. There's something of intimacy that happens because see, when you acknowledge to God 
that I have some things going on, it's not because he doesn't know. He knows. It is to stimulate conversation. Think about it, ladies, for those of you who are married and dating. You didn't just fall in love with your husband because he looked good in some Wranglers. All right? You fell in love with him through the conversation. You fell in love with him talking to him and realizing you had the same dreams, the same goals, the same ambitions, and that he, he, his jokes, I, kidding, it was the jokes. He makes me laugh almost every single day. And, the, and then his hearing his heart for God through conversation. God wants some conversation with you. He wants that intimacy begins with talking to God. And, and it's a form of prayer, but sometimes it should just be like a conversation. And when, when Kenan and I were first starting our church, I, um, it was hard. It was hard to launch a church, and we were, we were in a very poor area. When we actually went to, like, learning, learning how to launch a church 101, um, they asked us to put the, <laughs> the pin on the map where we were going. There was no other churches Everybody was going to Dallas or going to North Carolina. Like, they were going where the soil was really good. We decided to plant in a desert, apparently, because there was nobody within 100 miles. So they didn't even want to invest in us. They didn't even We were high risk. And I'm like, what? Aren't you supposed to go where his light is dim? Like, isn't that where you're supposed to go? So I was like, whatever. So we struggled. We struggled, and we, we, weren't, we didn't let people know. We put on the front. Things were good. But I remember driving to the store, and if I get a little choked up, I'm trying not to, but it's, we're just going to call it perimenopause, all right? That I remember crying because I didn't even, I couldn't even put food on my baby's table. And two years before, that wouldn't have even been an issue. And I'm like, God, did we not hear you? Did we mess up? And I prayed to him, uh, this loud prayer, and then it was a quiet prayer. And I, I prayed, I said, God, I need you. I just acknowledged where I was. I wasn't in sin, but I, or, or I asked him, were we in sin? Did we mishear you, God? If we are where you want us, tell us, forgive me. I just want to be where you want us to be. Are we out of the will of God? Please tell me. But I had to acknowledge how I felt. I said, God, I just need to hear from you. I need to know if for no other reason that you just love us and because you have our back. Guys, I'm not joking. I drove, I went to, to, to Starbucks and had lunch with my, or coffee with my mom, our mother-in-law. She's like my mom. Let's just be real. And uh, she bought me groceries for the boys and I had to let her do it. I had to swallow my pride and let her do it. And it's always in here, and I probably fell out. I got home from, from, are you kidding me? Devil is a liar. Um, I got home. Here it is. I got home, and it was near my birthday, and I'll, this is how bad it was. I was afraid to go check the mail. I was at that point because it just meant another bill we couldn't pay. I got home from groceries. I put the groceries, and I, I said, all right, Lord, I'm going to go get the mail. Talk to my friend Bill. And I pulled out this card, and it had my name on it. There's no return address. I still get shaky over this. And it said it was from North Carolina where we had just left to follow the will of God, to launch a church. Had a great job there. 
Kenyon was back evangelizing. Things were good. Lived in a nice little house. Great school for my boys. We left there. And I'm like, somebody must have sent me a, a birthday card. Because my birthday was in a few weeks. Actually, a few days. And then opened it up, and on the inside, it said, just because you got this, God has your back. God literally spoke my words back to me because I was willing to. And this is where it blew my mind because I kept asking God, are we, where are we supposed to be? And he said, Stephanie, I didn't have someone Facebook message you. I needed to mail it to you so you know with your address, you are right where you are supposed to be. I have your back. And I have it because I love you. I may tell you, outside of my salvation moment, that was the most profound moment I had, most intimate moment I have ever had with God. He made sure nobody else got the credit. I still, to this day, have no idea who sent me that card. They sent it to me two weeks in advance because God knew the very moment I was going to have a breakdown, the very day I was going to have a breakdown, and he put it in my mail addressed to me to say, I have have your back but it took a moment of acknowledging and admitting I couldn't do this anymore I couldn't make this God I need you to let me know you hear me I'm here to tell somebody he has your back baby girl he loves you he is not going to let you falter he is not going to let you fall you showed up today at the end of your rope and he is telling you I got your back look at somebody and say he's got your back this morning he's got your back but you better be honest and acknowledge how you're feeling what you're going through what you're struggling with what you're what what you're dealing with it's not always sin it's not always sin sometimes it's insecurity sometimes it's doubt lord i doubt you can use me well how can you use me i don't look like everybody else i don't fit into a size two Maybe it's depression. Maybe this whole pandemic thing is worn on you, worn on your mind, worn on your emotions. Maybe it's rejection. When your husband rejects you and doesn't respond the way you want him to, and you take that so personally instead of taking it to God, you take it to your friends and you vent, God's saying, bring it to me. Talk to me about it. Don't gossip about your husband. Talk to me about it. I have his heart in my hand. Talk to me. Maybe it's childhood hurt. Pride. We're going to deal with that one in a minute. Regret. Regret's an awful thing to carry. It's an awful thing to carry. Sometimes you need to be able to say, I see you, depression. I, I see you, regret. I see you, pride. And today you're going down. Today you're going down. Today you're going down. I see you, anger. I see you bitterness. Today you're coming down. Because I'm going to acknowledge that you're in this place. I'm going to acknowledge that you're in my mind. I'm going to acknowledge that you're in my heart. I'm going to stop ignoring it. Because by ignoring it, you're not dealing with it. The, he said, I need you to acknowledge. I need you to acknowledge that you have some things that you need to deal with. And maybe it is deeper. Maybe it is a sin issue. Right? Maybe you have an addiction that you've been hiding. Maybe you have a generational curse that you just keep sweeping under the rug like it's no big deal. Maybe you have a lustful spirit. Why do we think men only have lustful spirits? Hello, Fifty Shades of Grey. 
That's pornography. But we dismiss it because it's in writing. All right, those romance novels. Come on. That's feeding a spirit of lust. And we think because we can't visualize it. Let me tell you, the mind's even more creative. We need to acknowledge. Everybody say acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. Then in verse 13, he says this. Part B. Confess that you refuse to listen to my voice and return home, you rayward children. He was saying confess and repent. We need to confess and repent. We can't confess what we don't first acknowledge needs help. So you first have to acknowledge it, and then you begin confessing. All things really need to be confessed to God. But sometimes things need to be confessed to other people for two reasons. One, if an offense, you have caused offense or you have sinned against that person, then you need to, and God had to deal with me with this recently that where I had been really short with somebody within my church. I had lost patience with them. And I can blame my perimenopause as much as I want, but that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse to be rude. It's not an excuse to be short. And the Holy Spirit convicted me very, very hard on this while I was on vacation. And the moment I got back, I had to go have a conversation with her and say, I am so sorry that I have been so short with you. Please forgive me. We have to sometimes confess, and that's hard. It's hard because then you have to admit you're wrong. And Kenan tells me all the time, I don't like to admit I'm wrong. (laughs) Because I'm not with you. (laughs) But sometimes we have to admit to others. James 5.16 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The fervent prayers of the righteous avail much. Your healing isn't going to come for some of you until you learn to confess to somebody else because you've been hiding something in the dark. And let me tell you where the enemy loves to operate is in that dark. He will take that thing that was a little thing and he will make it a bigger thing until it's out of control and you're doing everything. You're starting to lie and and you're starting to manipulate, to hide what you what you haven't been willing to confess because pride gets in the way and I don't want anybody to know that I'm struggling with this because I I'm in I'm active in church what will they think of me if they knew this was my struggle but we need to do that because see transparency is what I let you know vulnerability is what I let you see accountability is what I let you hold and intimacy is when I hide nothing. I'm going to say that again. A transparency is what I let you know. Vulnerability is what I let you see. Accountability is what I let you hold. And intimacy is what I, I no longer hide. Now, truthfully, here is where you need to have wisdom. Not everybody in your life can operate at all those levels. And I would say the most church, raise your hand, or don't raise your hand, but... Let's not do that. You've ever been hurt in church. How many can agree to this? Church hurt is the worst hurt. And a lot of it is because you didn't know which level you were with somebody. Right now, I want to be transparent. Underneath this shirt, I look like a busted can of biscuits. (laughs) But I'm not vulnerable enough to show you. I will let you know. But I'm not down with you enough to let you be vulnerable to show you. 
my busted can of biscuits. She's going to see it because she's sharing a hotel with me. We're, I could be vulnerable with Tina. And some of you are unloading on people who are not at that level to handle what you're sharing with them. And then you wonder why they went and gossiped about you behind your back. And why they went and told Sister Sledge about what your struggle. You need to know where you're at. Even Jesus, had he, he preached to the multitudes. He taught with the 12. But he had three that he had intimacy with. That saw everything. They saw the transfiguration. They came to Gethsemane. They, not all 12 made that cut. You better know who can make the cut. You better know not everybody who tells you on Facebook, I'm praying for you. No, you're not. You're Netflix binging. You ain't praying. You ain't praying. Your knees have probably never touched the carpet till you tried to get your shoes from underneath your bed. Don't tell me you're praying. I'm looking at people. I'm like, I'm, mm, Lord, am I judging here? They ain't praying. They ain't not praying. They, they definitely not praying. And if they were praying, I wouldn't want them praying for me. <laughs> I don't put a lot of stuff on Facebook because I can't handle it. I'm praying for you, hands, angel. I'm like, mm, mm, save your prayer. You can bring me a cough me, but I don't want your prayer. All right? Because I don't know if the Lord's listening to you. You better need to repent first. <laughs> not everybody... Are you going to be up? But we, you need to know who you can confess to. I was a season in my life, and you're going to think, how did that Lord even put her up there? I was at ORU, and once again, when you have this hurt, when, the, when my father was, my, I lost my father when I was very young, so I didn't realize that I had daddy issues. I had, because your mamas teach you how to love, and daddies teach you how to be loved. Can you agree with that? I witnessed and I still remember, and I, 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 I've created a big man child with Kendon. I bring him his food still. I, 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 I mean, because that's how my mom was. She was an old school Latino man. She took care of my dad. All right? I am not this modern woman. Fix it yourself. I mean, I still wash his stinky underwear because that, that's what my mom taught me. You know, that's my, that's my ministry unto him. He's the man of God. He works, and I work too, but... And if that makes me unfeminist, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I haven't lost, because I still, he might be the head, but I'm the neck. And it's okay. That's right. <laughs> but I honor him like that. I don't even know where I was going with that. Lord, forgive me. Oh, I know. So anyways, I was, I was in college, and I had this hurt, and I constantly, constantly went after guys to validate me. Which is the curse, by the way, because when God cursed Eve, he said, you are going to long after man instead of me is what he was saying. And you, some of you are sitting here like, oh, snap, that's what I've been doing. Yeah, you've been waiting for your man to fulfill you with only God can fulfill and you've put a lot of pressure on your husband and because he can't fulfill it, he pours himself into his work, which is the other side of the curse. And... I was so broken, and I watched all my friends getting married. I was in four weddings in one year, and there I was, still the bridesmaid. Lonely, thinking, Lord, what's wrong with me? Looking in the mirror, am I not pretty enough? Am I not smart enough? Am I not funny enough? What, what's wrong with me? Do I not know the word enough? Am I not godly enough because I used to drink and party, so all these godly boys don't want anything to do with me? Am I just too vocal? What, what's wrong? 
And again, once or twice in my life, sent the wrong person at the right time. I had just had the most amazing time at a, um, I went on a missions trip. And God just rocked my world. And I came back. Let me tell you, the enemy will, there's a devil on an assignment. And I got wrapped up again in an ungodly, unhealthy relationship. And it took friends, good, godly friends. I couldn't confess it to everybody because I was working children's church. I was at ORU. I was in one of the biggest Christian colleges in the world. How would I explain to other people that I was in sin? I was like the woman at the feet of Jesus. And I knew I was wrong. But I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know how to. And I had made this relationship my idol because it was fulfilling me. And it took being transparent and confessing to a friend to give me the strength to walk away from something that was so unhealthy and so toxic. And then to thank two years later, God blessed me with Kendon. I still, I remember when we first met, I'm like, God, how did I deserve him? How did I deserve this godly man who even, I mean, like, I I felt like Gomer to Hosea with him. Like, Lord, really? Like, how did I get him? But now I'm like, how did he get me? (laughs) That, but you have to be willing to confess. Guys, don't let the shame game keep you in chains. Because those are heavy chains. And they'll pull you down so fast. And I began to feel myself being pulled away from my destiny because I was too ashamed to admit I was in sin. Don't think you can't fall into it. Don't think that can't be you. That's another thing we like to do to other sisters. Oh, that would never be me. Don't you say never. Don't you say never. Don't you ever say never. But we need to be able to confess. Do you have somebody in your life you feel comfortable to confess to. Build a community of people that you can be very, very open with. You can show them your busted can of biscuits and they're still going to love you. We need that. But then you need to take it the next step and you need to repent. And that's not just being sorry. And I know as believers we know this, but let's just look at some scriptures Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing, times of revival, times of healing, times of outpouring, times of his reign coming down. We don't just sing about it, but we want to know it. And it comes through repentance. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Ezekiel 18.30, repent. Turn away from all your offenses, and then sin will not be your downfall. I had to come to this moment that I wasn't just sorry about my actions. I had to turn from them, and I had to go in the other direction. You need to come to this place of repentance. Revelation 2.5, repent and do the things you did at first. Fall back in love with Jesus wholeheartedly. The whole, the group in Jeremiah's day, they were half-hearted Christians. How many of you know some half-hearted Christians? They just halfway in. I can't think of any marriage that survives a half-hearted commitment. 
We need to be wholeheartedly in. 2 Corinthians 7.14, if my people, my, not the world, his people who are called by my name will humble themselves, it takes humility to repent and pray and seek my face and turn, repent, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and then I will heal their land. What is wrong in America is not on the backs of any administration. It is not on the backs of any political party. It is not on the backs of any agenda. It is on the backs of the church that need to cry out in repentance. It is on the back of every pulpit that isn't calling their people to a time of repentance. I want to see my land healed. I want to see this nation whole. I'm believing for our fourth great awakening that will welcome and usher back the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm ready to see him come in on his white horse. I'm ready for his throne his chain to fill the temple i'm ready to see all that i'm ready to eat at the feast at the table i'm ready to supper with my bridegroom i'm ready for all that i am looking up into the sky my eyes are toward towards jerusalem i am ready like i've never been ready in my life i want to go home but until then i want revival until then, I want to see as many lost come to him as possible. Until then, I want to see my boys on fire for the Lord. I want to see them praising the Lord. Not, not concerned with who thought this and who did what. And, oh, I don't get to go there. Teenage years stink. I want them to get a hold of it. I don't want them to just be good boys. I want them to be godly boys. I want revival. It begins with the people of God. They wanted the breakthrough without the breaking. The people of Jeremiah days wanted all the blessings of God, but they didn't want to be submitted to God. It doesn't work that way. Many believers want the product of revival, but they don't want that process. They don't want that breaking, that anointing, that anointing that comes. There, there's a pressing. To produce this oil, there is a pressing. It's a process. It is a pressing. For revival to come, it's going to crush us, Pastor. It's going to crush every motive we have, every desire we have, until we are in line with him. Am I going too long? I'm sorry. They want the laughter and they want the goosebumps and they want the falling out and they want the running around and they want to be slain in the spirit and laugh for hours, but they don't want the process. They want to do all that without repentance. We talked about last night. That's that cheap grace. That cheap grace. But Lord, I want all of you. I want all of you, all that you have. Jeremiah was pointing us to repentance. Then he tells us we need to, in Jeremiah 3.25, we need to own it. They say, let us, not, let us now lie down in shame with cover ourselves with dishonor, for we in our ancestors have sinned against the Lord our God. We need to own it. 
we grow up in a society, and I see this so much with middle schoolers and d just kids, and, this, and I talk to them all the time, you've been taught this, it's somebody else's fault. It's somebody else's fault. I'm in this position because the government, or I'm in this position because I'm a female, or I'm in this position, whatever the case may be. We want to blame something or someone else all the time. When I discipline kids in my class, I give them a yellow slip. They have to say, they have to admit, they have to confess <laughs> what they did, and then they have to say how they're going to fix that behavior. They have to own it. And I used to have a student who anytime I gave him a slip, he would always blame somebody else. Such and such was talking to me first. That's why I talked. Such and such hit me first. That's why I hit them. Such a, and I, we got to the point, we called, uh, when a kid would do that, we would call, they grimmed it. That was his last name. And I, I ran into him. He worked, started working at Walmart. I'm not Walmart, McDonald's. I said, buddy, I got to tell you a story about you. <laughs> I said, you became famous among the sixth grade teachers. If a kid did, he laughed. We laughed about it. But they grimmed it. And I'd be like, don't grim it. Don't grim it. You better own it. I will deal with that person. You deal with you. And the Holy Spirit is saying, stop trying to fix somebody else. I got them. I need you to work on you. You need to own it. You need to own it. You need to own it. What is your role in whatever you're dealing with? How have you contributed? How have you contributed? Don't blame your parents. Don't blame. My mother-in-law has every excuse to be jacked up. She was sexually abused by both her parents. She had seen alcohol her entire life, her entire life. She married somebody you subconsciously attract what you think you deserve, so she married an abusive man. The fact that she is so on fire for the Lord, the fact that she will speak in tongues in the middle of aisle three in Walmart with no reservation. Lay hands. She'll be ready. to. She'll pull the olive oil off the shelf and anoint you right there and pay for it later. That's the kind of mother-in-law I have because she knew very long. I can't blame my parents. I can't blame my, my husband. I have to lean fully into the goodness of God. I have to lean fully on the faithfulness of God that I am here because he kept me in a right mind. He set my feet upon a solid rock. He kept me sane when I wanted to come apart. He wrapped me up and, and kept me. She will never ever hear her blame anybody else. We need to own it. The decisions we make, the friendships we form, own it. And you think, man, I've done all that, Miss Stephanie. I, I, I know how to repent. I, know, I acknowledge, I admit, I have a great group of friends. Why am I still struggling with this thing? You ever feel that way? Like you feel like, okay, I checked this off the biblical list. I did this. I did, you did the formula. You did the formula. And it's still not working. He had one last thing to tell them. In, ver in chapter 4, verse 4. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, surrender your pride and your power. Change your hearts before the Lord. I love it in the NIV. It says it this way. Circumcise your hearts. 
cut away the foreskin, not to be graphic of your heart. That foreskin is your pride and your power. How many of you commit as a woman, as a woman, you like to have control? You like to know where your kids are doing. You like to be in control of their lives. You like to <laughs> have everything in order. A control, that's, that's something we struggle with. And sometimes it's, it is because we want to look good to everybody else. We want to be able to say our kids are pristine. They're on the honor roll. They have it all together. Look how well I'm doing everything. Control. Power. And he says you need to surrender. We sing about surrendering all the time. But do we really surrender? Or do we only surrender to God what we like to tell God what to do. Okay, God, here's my son. <laughs> I really need you to do this, this, and this for him. All right, I want him to go to this college, so I really need you to do this, this, and this for him. And when God does it a different way, well, that's not what I told you to do, God. You're doing it a totally different way. We don't understand when our kids go down. I didn't raise them to have sex outside of marriage. I didn't raise them to do drugs. They didn't see drinking. They're not, I didn't raise my kid that way. Sometimes God has to allow in his permissive will. Can you trust God when you can't trace him? Can you trust him when you can't trace him? That is yielding your power to him. God, I can't control this. And it really, honestly, let's read. How many of you can admit the hardest place surrendering is your kids to God? They've come from our wombs. We felt them kick we felt the move. We worried for nine months. We gave up coffee or caffeine. Actually, I didn't even drink coffee till I had my second child. But I didn't drink any. I did everything I was supposed to do. And he's saying, surrender. Surrender. We don't like that message of surrender. It's not a popular message. But there is victory in surrender. Seems kind of contradicting, doesn't it, that there's victory and surrender? During World War I, the whole world, every continent outside of Antarctica was in a massive war. It had ravaged Europe like nothing they had ever seen. And for many years it was called the Great War, the war to end all wars. There could never be anything bigger than that. In the middle of the war, our president, Woodrow Wilson, practiced something called moral diplomacy. He believed in doing what was right. And he was asking the leaders of Europe, can we not just have peace without victory? Can we not just lay down our weapons and have a peace without victory? But their pride and their power.